0: Hello, and welcome to Bicycling's Pro Cycling Podcast. I'm bicycling contributor Whit Yost, and I'm joined, as always, by my fellow contributor, Joe Lindsay. Joe, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Wit. You know why? Um
0: you finally got to go to Target after three weeks of being glued to your television watching a bike
1: race? Better, better even than that. I finally get to ride my own bicycle after 9 a.m. each day because the tour is over.
0: Oh wow, that is good. That, that is good. that is very good, although you had the benefit, well, I don't know, Does you're in Colorado, so does being two hours behind the East Coast I feel like that helps you a little bit, Um,
1: right? What's nice is that you can watch the finish of the tour, and you basically still have the rest of the day. Whereas on the East Coast, you guys, it basically goes all the way to noon. It it cuts your entire day in half. So I can usually get in like a short ride in the morning, or if I want to brave the heat, then I can go after the race.
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. For me, usually the race ends, and I finish doing whatever I have to do just in time for the hottest time. Yep. Of the day to go ride, so right. it'll 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 be nice to get out a little bit earlier and a little bit cooler. Absolutely. So, that said, uh, why don't we wrap up the tour? Uh, we watched the race ride into Paris yesterday. Chris Froome won his second yellow jersey as champion of the Tour de France. So, what do you say? We'll uh, maybe talk about some storylines that uh, emerged. Mm-hmm. We'll give out some awards, and uh, maybe we will be the first podcasters to perhaps take an early look at the 2016 Tour de France as A well. How's that sound?
1: A scoop. Let's do it.
0: Let's do it. All right, so uh, first storyline, you want to take it?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the things that stood out to me, which is funny because it shouldn't stand out, right, is Andre Greipel. Uh, he's always been one of the best sprinters in pro cycling. Um, but he's always also had a habit of winning kind of nothing races. And even back when, uh, he was on HTC with Cavendish, Kevin, Cav kind of made a few snide remarks about that, you know, that like Greipel will win the, you know, the, the people's choice classic in January. Yeah. He's kind of like the redheaded step sprinter. Right. Exactly. And so here at the tour, he wins four stages. He's far and away the best field sprinter in, in the entire peloton at the tour. Um, um, Cavendish won one stage, Sagan couldn't win a stage, Alexander Kristoff, who was basically the big star of the spring, couldn't win a stage, John Dagenkolb couldn't win a stage, Gripel takes four. And that was, was, what was that, two more than anybody else? I think jo- Joaquim Rodriguez had two. Yep. Um, and so I look at that and say that, that after many, many years, uh, where, and, and let's, let's be clear, he had five tour stage wins before this. But this year, he almost doubled that total. And now we've seen Andre Greipel emerge as one of the best fuel sprinters in cycling and finally get the respect for it.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Let's not forget, too, that Andre Greipel isn't a field sprinter that disappears during other parts of the season. No, that's Every true. year during the Spring Classics... Andre Greipel who rides for a Belgian team which means the spring classics certainly the cobbled classics are very important to that team Lotto sudal Andre Greipel races like a classics rider mm-hmm. you know he's on the front I think he was I think he was the first rider over the Koppenberg in the Tour of Flanders this year he rides Parry Roubaix you know this guy's a team player he loves to ride his bike and it's absolutely fantastic to see him emerge in a big way at the tour this year that said i think there are a couple factors that played into his favor first oh, really of all i think his team lotto sudal looked at a team like giant Alpecin uh and said hey we need to change our formula they went into this year's tour they didn't bring jurgen vandenbroek mm-hmm. who before has been their gc captain right they said we're going to this tour to focus exclusively on stage wins right. and you can see the proof was in the pudding they mm-hmm. won they won four stages um I do think that uh, Greipel also benefited from the absence of his his compatriot, uh, Marcel Kittle. Right. I think had Kittle been there, I think Giant Alpeson would have had a bit more focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that certainly it wouldn't have been as easy for Greipel to win those stages. Um, and I think he's also benefiting a little bit from the decline of Mark Cavendish. You know, yeah. Eddick's quick step, they did win three stages, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was won by Cavendish. But they still seem to me to be a little lost, like they were just sort of... Trying to take advantage of opportunities when they were presented to them, which mm-hmm. again is is great. There are a lot of teams mm-hmm. that aren't even able to do that. Right. But I felt like Quick Step sort of came into the race saying, eh, we're going to take it day by day and see and sort of see what happens." Yeah, and that's not um,
1: that's not really the strength of how they ride. They ride best when they basically throttle the race in the last ten to fifteen k. And yep. what we saw this year was they either couldn't or wouldn't do that. At least yep. certainly in the first week, like that stage two where they just <laughs> they had everything laid out perfectly for him and still didn't get the win.
0: Yep, absolutely. So kudos for Greipel. Um, I also think it's a great job for Germany. I think German riders mm-hmm. this year won, I want to say, six stages, yep. Joe, seven, Yep. Um, which is another fantastic haul for Germany, uh, especially a year when German fans were actually able to see the race on german television for the first time in a long time so it was great to see german uh television networks sort of be rewarded for once again putting faith in cycling and the tour Mm -hmm. with german riders doing so well so that was that was really a a great thing great thing to see for sure Uh, speaking of fans uh, i think that certainly is our next uh our Mm -hmm. next storyline to talk about from the twenty fifteen Tour de France, uh, is the is the, the behavior of the fans, and I think also the media during this year's race. You and I uh, spoke about often the fact that this year's tour, the racing itself, I think, seemed to be overshadowed by the various polemics that were being generated by various things that happened. You know, right. whether it's fans spitting, mm-hmm. giving the middle finger, throwing cups of urine, punching riders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the media, or so-called media, depending on your perspective, you know, uh, Laurent Jalabert, the former, uh, the the former professional and former doper, who said that it looked like Froome's bike was pedaling itself. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I mean, you know, it it seemed to distract us from. The heart of the matter, which at the Tour de France is is the racing, and and we found ourselves, I think, spending more time thinking about, talking about, and covering mm-hmm. who said what after the race, or who said what on the side of, or did something on the side of the road, mm-hmm. rather than what was happening on the road itself. You know, and I, I just, I look, I will always look back on this year's Tour as that being one of the major storylines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and to be clear, some of the the polemics that we had emerged from the race itself. Um, especially with... True, true, true. You know, the the way that that Sky was treated by fans. Let's be totally clear. This, unfortunately, happens every year. Um, It doesn't get a lot of coverage, but riders do get hit. Riders do get spit on. Um, They do get pushed around and that kind of thing. Uh, You know, it, it one of the things that Sky let out uh, as they were talking about what was happening this year is that this also happened on Alpe d'Huez in 2013. They just didn't talk about it as much then. So that's part of the issue is that our focus is on that more. But the the incidents as far as fan behavior that, that really kind of freaked me out were, I it uh, didn't get hardly any coverage, but on the last stage, as they're going around the circuits on the Champs-Élysées, I don't know if mm. you saw, as they're uh, going I through did. the Place de la Concorde, and all of a sudden there is a figure standing in the road in a white robe with his arms stretched out and the riders come around this corner right at him and you know praise be to their skills like it was amazing that nobody, that they didn't just go barreling right into the guy and cause a 100 and some rider crash at that moment but stuff like that it's like how did this guy get on course and and why didn't any why wasn't there anybody there to stop him things like that things like Richie Port getting punched like he did I mean we had that, that, that story up that great series by Richard Moore about who punched Eddie Merckx mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. remarkable because it's 40 years ago and we still talk about it, um, and so it's obvious that that it's kind of rare that it happens, but it does happen, and I, it was unfortunate that that story was somehow more relevant than ever.
0: Absolutely, you know, one of the most beautiful things about an event like the Tour de France, uh, and, and certainly for any listeners that haven't had a chance to go see it firsthand, you have to go see it firsthand, and you'll experience this for yourself, and that's the the close proximity mm-hmm. that you can get to the race, no whether the that's at the that. start on the side of the road, yeah, nowhere in, in, in no other sport can you actually reach out and touch the, the competitors as they're competing. If, Not that I recommend you do that, but right. but you certainly could if you were crazy enough to do that. And and I, I wonder how long it's going to be before a few um, completely irresponsible and disrespectful individuals ruin things for everyone i mean you're not going to lay down barricades over 180 kilometers of french country roads but i i mean you know do you
1: imagine like if this was baseball and like somebody like mike trout is going for a you know going for a fly ball in center field and as he jumps over the fence fence a fan punches him in the ribs yeah, it would be uh-huh. every. It would be ludicrous. It would be, be everywhere. everywhere on ESPN, on everywhere, on, yep. know, Fox, on everything. It would be the number one sports story of the week. And here it was like, oh yeah, some guy punched Richie Port.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the way. <laughs> oh,
1: by the way. So, as far as the media behavior goes, one thing that I have to say about that is that is that let's be clear: guys like Jalabert are there in the media, but they're not journalists he's a commentator. He's an entertainer. That's what he's there to do. And I think, you know, in that case, there was just so much heat without a whole lot of light around that. There was a, there was a whole conversation there that I think of really valuable conversation about transparency and about what's happening in the race and about how teams and the media interact that I think got missed because of the, the focus on the, the outrageousness of the comments.
0: Yeah, no. And I think, too, if if there's one thing that that all this also speaks to is the fact that people are still upset. Mm -hmm, Very much. You know, I mean, while cycling can make an effort to clean itself up in terms of biological passports, Mm -hmm. more testing, waking riders up at three in the morning and checking them for micro dosing. It still has a long way to go, I think, to just heal people's wounds emotionally. Yeah. You know, right. and, and, and 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 one of the things I love about this sport is the passion that it elicits from its fans. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, tied to that passion is still a lot of anger, resentment, and unfortunately, because of that, mistrust. Right. And, and, and I think we have a long way to go before people are going to be able to watch a team like Sky and a rider like Chris Froome and just enjoy it for the sake of the performance rather than want to ask questions about what generated it.
1: Right. And that's what I want people in the sport to understand is just, look, I know it sucks. This is, you know, this is a real pain in the butt. But if you are, if we are really doing everything the right way, then you have nothing to fear and just be patient and engage and continue to engage. And eventually it will come back. It will. It's just going to take time. So yep. but yep. speaking of the course uh that's one of the other things that uh, that we saw this year was you know the the old adage is that that the riders make the tour that 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 you could put anybody in there You know, if the pro tour teams weren't there You could put, you know, Joe Blow in there And the battle of Joe Blow versus his rival Would make the tour But this year what we saw was that The course itself played a mm-hmm. major, major role From the first week with the Crossman stages To those final, you know Those final couple of Alpine stages Where finally it seemed like Movistar and Quintana Now Quintana found their legs um, It just seemed like this year That the route that they that they did Played a bigger role than ever
0: Absolutely, you know, um I think the most important person in this year's tour probably wasn't one of the riders but Thierry Gouvenu, the Frenchman and former professional who now is charged with essentially designing the course of the Tour de France this mm-hmm. year. He I believe was 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 personally uh, responsible for stage 2 in the mm-hmm. Netherlands that caused all those crosswinds and all those and all those splits that day. So you know, while, yeah, we, we want to believe that the riders make the races in this case, you know, the course definitely played a major role Mm -hmm. in that as well. And I don't think that's something that's going to go away. I don't think the tour is going to go back to, you know, uh, an opening time trial and then six straight days of field sprints, you know, because fans, fans get tired of that, you know, and and, and, sure, definitely. And like it or not, you know, um, uh, if 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 you're a Nairo Quintana fan and you look at Stage Two and say. If, if not if, if 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 stage two were more conventional Nairo would have won the tour it's like well you know what to win the tour de france you need to be the, the world's best all-round rider right. and all-round riders make splits when when there are crosswinds right.
1: all-around riders can go down hills all-around riders can race across cobbles they can race in bad weather all of that yep. kind of stuff and yeah they can race in yep. crosswinds and splits so i yep. totally agree what Chris room did that this year interesting thing as you mentioned uh, given is and that we're probably not going back to that old format in this respect i think think Gouverneau is one of the, the two most important people involved, the other being Prudhomme, Paul, sure. Christian Prudhomme, the uh, the director. And the thing is that, that the old way of the tour used to come out of um, Jean-Marie, Jean-Marie LeBlanc, who was the director for a long time, and Jean-Francois Pêcheu, who was the course mm-hmm. director. He was the guy who used to hold the position that Gouverneau now holds. And and Pêcheu started to experiment later in his career, but Gouverneau has really taken that and pushed it forward. And you get these really interesting stages, and I think um, you know the uh, you know, the stage to La Toussuire this year was was a perfect example of the kind of stage that, like, yeah, this is exactly what the tour needs. It injected some excitement into the last part of the race, and I felt like if if that. You know, that stage 20 to Alpe West, if they hadn't had as much of a gap in the valley, you know, maybe if they'd stuck to the original course of the Galibia, and oh, kind of yeah. that if they hadn't had as much of a flat spot in the valley between the Col de Fair and Alpe West, maybe maybe guys are willing to gamble from a little bit further out. And I, yep. I, I think everybody, you know, a lot of fans want to see more stages like that.
0: Absolutely. And I think also the tour, and we're going to talk about this guy a little bit later, but I I think the tour organizers like seeing a rider like Peter Sagan being in contention for multiple stages on multiple Mm -hmm. kinds of terrain Mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, we have our climbers, we have our sprinters, and we have our opportunists who are going to try to get in breakaways. I I think they like seeing guys getting in all kinds of different moves on on different kinds of stages. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly made the race more much more exciting. And for people who think that, oh, the GC battle was done after stage 10, mm-hmm. Chris Froome dominated, well, you know, you at least had really, really, uh, really exciting stages to watch in between. Mm-hmm. And, of, and of course, as we saw at the end of the race, Chris Froome wasn't as dominant as, uh, as he looked right. coming out of the Pyrenees. Um, and a lot of that, I think, you know, to me, the fourth storyline uh, the strong field, for sure. You know, um, we went into this year's race with, you know, they called them the 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 fabulous four, the right. Galacticos. Uh, that certainly turned into the what fantastic five. Yeah, I for forget a while, what alliterative flourish we came up with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when TJ Van Garderen emerged as, uh, a, a, as a as a serious podium threat, to me, one of the great storylines was they almost all made it to Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you look at if you look at the GC in this year's race, it's pretty impressive. No one crashed out. You know, I mean, they all made an impact on the race, maybe with the exception of Alberto Contador. I felt like he was a step behind a lot of a lot of people.
1: I did, too. Um, But, yeah, you're right. When you look at that final GC, you look at those top five guys, every single one of those guys has won at least one grand tour. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the last time that a tour uh, field had that kind of depth to it. And the fact that none of them crashed out, that all of them were there at the finish, it just made for a really – deep and sort of complex race when we saw those those battles uh, for the lesser GFC placings taking place in, in uh, week three. Uh, yeah, it kind of, in, in a way, it got in the way of the whole Quintana-Froom battle, but it had its own subtext to play out that was interesting on in its own right.
0: Absolutely, and it, and, and it, the one thing it made me do is regret Alberto Contador trying to do the double. Totally. I, I really wished uh, several times throughout this year's tour that Contador had come in with the same kind of preparation the other riders came into the race with because i really felt once you know once we hit the pyrenees i think it was pretty clear Mm -hmm. that he was definitely at a disadvantage and i would have liked to have seen the real alberto contador yes not the shadow of the guy that just won the giro right um contador so but still exciting and you know something we'll have to talk about when we take a look toward next year because Nobody's going anywhere. Nope. So <laughs> it doesn't uh, look like anybody's know,
1: retiring right now.
0: <laughs> absolutely. So we are certainly looking at uh, at least one more, mm-hmm. if not several more years of fantastic battles mm-hmm. like this one. Uh, and I think that leads us right into our fifth and final big storyline from this year's tour the American hopes. Because we mentioned that at the beginning there were four riders who were expected to dominate this year's tour. But very soon after the race started, a fifth rider emerged, and that was the American for Team BMC, mm-hmm. TJ Van Garderen. Unfortunately, it didn't materialize the way we'd all hoped it would. Uh, TJ entered the Pyrenees looking looking like a strong bet to finish on the tour's final podium, but then abandoned on the first the day after the rest day with uh, an upper respiratory virus that no one really knew about, but certainly. Uh, was was impacting him on that first mountain stage. So I guess then the storyline is: Does America, you know, do, do American fans have have a rider that they can really look at as a podium contender?
1: Yeah, and you know, TJ is a, a little bit of a curious case that way because he's alternated good finish and bad finish at the tours mm-hmm. you know his first year obviously when he was you know a, as a uh, a rookie tour writer anyway he was pretty anonymous and then he finished fifth the second year and then he was you know he had that awful tour in 2013 where he sort of rebounded at the end but he you know with the uh, second place on the Alpe d'Huez stage but he finished yep. 45th overall last year he was fifth this year he looked like he was finally going to break that cycle with a really nice high overall finish and he was you know as he mentioned he became one of the quote unquote Fab Five. I mean, on the first rest day, Chris Froome was asked about his rivals and the first guy that he mentioned was TJ because TJ had ridden so well that first, you know, those first nine stages that he said, this is a guy who I'm absolutely keying off of. And I think, you know, this course was honestly not that great for TJ with the I lack know. of time draw I know. And the, the climbs in the Pyrenees are a little punchy for his riding style and that kind of thing. Um, I, th- I thought the Alps were going to be better for him. And I think they would have mm-hmm. been had he not gotten sick. But it, for me, it brings home a couple of things. One, the fine line that these guys ride between being super, super fit and healthy. Um, they're not the same thing. And oftentimes they sort of work against each other. And you can see that where, you know, he'd been fighting through this respiratory infection for a couple of days, had the rest day. You know, Team doctor Max Testa said they thought that the worst of it was behind him. He's betrayed no sign at the start of stage 17 that anything was wrong. And then said later, he said, when I got on the bike, I knew it. He said, my legs were dead. I just couldn't push the pedals. So there's there's that aspect. But there's also, for me, when we talk about looking forward to you know, what Americans have to root for, this I hate to say it, this is one of those things where like it's it's gonna be good for you, TJ, but I think it will. I mean here he was, he was in third overall, entering stage seventeen of the tour, and then things just fell apart on him. And I think if he's the kind of rider who we think he is, if he's the kind of person, you know, the the strength of personality we think he is, then this will actually pay him dividends down the road for things to have fallen apart this completely.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I think he's proven that he's learned from his mistakes. I was very impressed with how he rode during the first week, you mm-hmm. know, because to me the first week was it. The, those were stages that weren't going to test riders physically as much as they were going to test them mentally. Right, and I feel like that's always been a question mark with TJ. You know, mm-hmm. does he know how to win a race? Does he know how to lead a team? Right, and uh, I he think did. he showed he does absolutely. Um, but but on on the flip side, I think we'd be remiss not to at least. Save a minute or two for Andrew Tallent. I was just
1: going to say the same thing. I mean, he was anonymous in the first few, you know, first up until the first rest day. He wasn't super far back, but he was losing time in dribs and drabs, and it was pretty clear, you know, even when he started losing time in the Pyrenees, that that uh, his, his team manager Jonathan Voders, was a little upset. You know, they, they didn't necessarily expect Andrew to rip the legs off the race, but they expected him to be there. And it sounded like the problem was as much sort of like head in the game as anything else. Uh, and maybe that was different in the Pyrenees. Maybe I think there it was probably more a case of legs than, than head. But he turned things around. And this is where we talk about the mental side. This is something where Talansky has always been very good, is he's mm-hmm. a grinder. Um, he he thrives on adversity he thrives on people telling him what he can't do and that he should you know oh you know you're not capable of this that kind of thing and so i think he came back from that and showed in in the alps that he was not in the first tier of climbers by any stretch because he was getting dropped. But he was up there. He was up there with Matthias Frank. He was there with, you know, for for a little while with guys like Robert Hessink, you know, Roman Bardet, guys like that. You know, he had that great, uh, great ride in the break where he almost caught Simon Geschke for the stage win. If that stage had been a little bit longer, he would have done it. And again, I think it's the kind of thing where you come back like both of these guys, TJ and Andrew, are both 26 years old. They have more tours ahead of them. They're learning a lot. Um, This is only Andrew's second tour. And I think eventually we're going to see him come into a course that's suited for him, like this year's was, and really kind of have both the the mental and the physical aspects of his game together.
0: Well, I'm going to do Andrew a favor then. Um, oh, I don't think so. I, what? I don't. I don't. I don't, like I don't. I don't. I don't think Andrew. Uh, he he hasn't shown me enough yet for me to put him on the same. The same level as someone like tj for sure uh you know this is too he he's uh, th- i think this is actually his third tour joe um if i may be so bold as to is uh as to correct you yeah oh yeah he that's finished,
1: true that's true because he dropped out last year so he dropped
0: out no yeah he dropped out for last year after that horrible crash right. second mm-hmm. tour finish right. yeah um okay and, but and in both the tours he's finished he's yeah he's lost time early and he's had to sort of play that now that no one cares about where I am on GC, I'm going to escape right. and jump back up the Which GC. Which is a very
1: Cannondale Garmin thing to do. It is. It's it like is. We're, we're going to do the Rocky thing where you've got me on the ropes and then I'm going to come back. Except for they don't quite get the knockout.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, I, I think uh, something to me has been off with Andrew all season. Yes, it has. Uh, he, he, just, he just hasn't had it. You know, um, through paris through the Dauphiné. Right. Um, you know, he dropped out of the Tour of California, although, frankly, I think the Tour of California is a race that Andrew just needs to stay 100 far, far miles away, away huh? from. Um, so I hope he can turn it around. He's an exciting rider. They call him the Pit Bull. He certainly mm-hmm. displayed his courage and tenacity during the final week, but... I'm going to need to see something more and soon mm-hmm. from him before yeah. I'm ready to say that he's a conti- he's a rider that's capable of winning or fin- even finishing in the top five right. of a Grand Tour. Right.
1: We shall see. So, Maybe we shall well, see. We'll see.
0: Yeah. No, you're right.
1: So anyway. <sighs> How about some awards? Uh, yeah, I think it's time for some awards. So uh, the, basically, what we want to do here is, is call out some some stories you probably have heard about. None of these are surprises, but talk about them in a little bit of a different way uh, than maybe you uh, than maybe you got from the rest of the media. And the one I would start with is Peter Sagan, and everybody's talking about Peter Sagan and having finished, you know, in the top seven on twelve stages and winning the green jersey, but he didn't win a stage and all of that. And the side I want to focus on is is that Peter Sagan, and I, I think I can credit. This to Jason Gay from the Wall Street Journal. He said Peter Sagan is cycling's version of Gronk. Rob Gronkowski, the tight end for the uh, for the New England Patriots, he <laughs> is he's he purely a character. And I think you see him like there was this there was a shot of him that turned into a GIF on Twitter um, of him on the podium in Paris with with one of his trophies, and he turns it on his side and he mimes like he's shooting a machine gun with it. And the thing I thought that I just laughed out loud and I was like nobody in cycling right now is having more fun than Peter Sagan.
0: Yeah, that's a great award, you know. Um, Gronkowski, Joe, maybe I'll have to send you a copy, but he just published his autobiography, and the title of it is It's Good to Be Gronk. And when you told me about this award and Jason Gay's comparison, yeah, I mean, I just, I think it's perfect. I, I, at the beginning of his career, I think a lot of people thought that Peter Sagan was just a big punk. Um, I know that I did at times, mm-hmm. but now I think he just loves cycling and just, is just having fun being Peter Sagan. Yeah. I mean... He's not a bad kid. And no. we haven't heard we haven't heard issues about him crashing cars, getting caught with prostitutes. I mean, he's not Luca Paolini and getting, you know, <laughs> getting, getting popped for, for for a little blow, He does uh, you some know.
1: stupid stuff at times, for sure. Like the the podium girl incident from Flanders was definitely dumb. Um, but I think uh, who hasn't I, done I think stupid he has a, things I think when he they were in their heart. early 20s? <laughs> I think, <laughs> you think you know? he has a good heart. I think he just wants to have fun. Yep. Yep.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So Cycling's Gronk. Um hopefully his knees and forearms hold up a little <laughs> bit better. Uh seriously. But but uh but no, that's that's a good one. Um I wanna call out well maybe, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I want to recognize
1: <laughs>
0: Team Sky. Uh because for some reason, and maybe it's just because I've just been obsessed with the preview for <laughs> the uh the the upcoming movie this December, but but whenever I think of Team Sky, I think of the Imperial Stormtroopers Mm -hmm. and the song. You know, they hit the front of the race, and I just hear like do 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 do. And you know, from the way that they handle PR to their 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 fleet of huge motorhomes, including
1: the Death Star, uh,
0: including the Death Star. I just, I just, you know.
1: No, they really they, are. Th- they they really are. There's no other team that is that is the Imperial uh, fleet like those guys are. Absolutely.
0: I mean, they just want to squash right. everyone. And the scary thing for me, and this is something we'll talk about when we talk about 2016, is they're only going to get
1: stronger. No. I mean, they're going to get, you know, the word is they're going to sign Michael Kwiatkowski. And yeah, yep. they lose Richie Port, but they're signing their current world champion. Like, that's a big deal they're gonna have one of the biggest budgets in pro cycling and it's hard to fight against that
0: yep and the most important thing is they know that they've cracked the formula to win the tour de france they've won this race three, three out of the four last times. four years yep. in a row yeah. um you know both with riders that uh seemingly came out of nowhere mm-hmm. or certainly didn't have the the pedigree that a lot of people look to and sure. and, and, and i want to be clear i'm not they I don't want you to read between the lines. Right. I'm not making any accusations by saying that. That's just the fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, yeah, they've, you would not they've have developed to these Williams riders. as a rider
1: to win the Tour de France. In, in 2007, Absolutely. in 2008 even, you would not have looked to him for that.
0: Absolutely. So, you know... They're they're rumored to be signing Astana's Michael Landa, who finished third in the Mm -hmm. Giro. Apparently, they're talking to three riders from Movistar. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, hey, if we can't beat Nairo Quintana, we might as well sign his team. (laughs) Yeah, let's Uh, just sign
1: all the guys that put him in (laughs) possession. Yeah, so
0: I just... You know, these guys are they're they're behind the wheel of cycling's death star and 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 i don't know who luke skywalker is going to be or han solo or you know maybe we maybe 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 we can find a new bearded wookiee somewhere but they're gonna they're gonna have to figure it out if if anybody else wants to win a tour anytime soon
1: speaking of luke skywalker guess who's not gonna not gonna defeat the oh no yeah oh no the french Uh. that's right (laughs) not to pick on the french because they have had a a, a rough run of what now 30 years uh Uh, without winning the tour but this year's race was just a textbook example of how uh, of what we often refer to on on twitter when we're making snarky comments about the race is like watch these guys french up the breakaway uh and i think the key example of that was this year on the stage Mm where Roman Bardet and Thibault Pino are away in the breakaway and they're away on the last part of the climb. And even, you know, the like the, oh. the climb itself has sort of ended and they're in the last kilometer and they're eyeing each other. And it's like, okay, which of these great, fantastic young climbing talents is going to win this stage? And then Steve Cummings from MTN Quebec comes <laughs> right up on the wheel and launches this, like, doesn't even wait. Just is like, yeah, whatever. You guys can talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. I'm going. Yeah. I'm you
0: didn't talk- need to watch the end of the stage, right. you could have turned it off because you knew how it was going was to like, end. He like, you guys yep.
1: wait here. I'm going to go ahead and check out the finish line. And that's exactly what he did. And of course, you know, the afterward, the recriminations are, are maybe the, just the second guessing about Bardet and uh, and Pino was was to the point that Marc Medio, uh, Pino's director at uh, FTJ, you know, basically tried to say, oh, you know, there was, it was impossible for them to you know, uh, to have done anything. That attack was going to win the stage no matter what, and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but they didn't even try, Mark." Um, so <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I look at stuff like that and then I look at like you know so at the end you know the the one classification that's decided by a jury is the combativité classification and they decide this every day and they award the red bib number and that kind of thing and at the end they have the super combativité which is basically the award for like the rider who displayed the most attacking spirit the entire race
0: the tour's most aggressive rider
1: right the tour's most aggressive rider and they give it to Bardet and you know what like okay yes Bardet was definitely aggressive he was in the break a bunch that kind of thing but to me it felt like a consolation prize because he lost the KOM jersey on the last mountain day um i looked at that day or i looked at the super combativity classification and i said oh, wait a minute like peter Sagan was in the breakaway for like four or five straight days and every time that he was in the break, he still managed to have the legs to finish with the leaders. Um, you look at a rider like Thomas De Gantt who spent almost 700 kilometers of the race in the breakaway, and yet those two guys didn't get it, and Bardet did. And that just seemed to me as like guys, like you, you gotta you gotta figure this out. Like just because like Bardet got the award because he was French, basically. And you know, it's just like, okay. Anyway, we gotta move on from this. Speaking of moving on, there's a guy who has some some ideas about moving on, and I, I think he's going to be one of your award winners yeah you know i um i want to recognize
0: oleg tinkoff heck yeah um i,
1: I mean
0: i i think i'm starting to drink the tinkoff kool-aid Uh-oh. i don't know what that is what it color might turn is that? my it might turn like my hair, hair pink <laughs> um you know uh i it, maybe it's his vodka um Who knows? but um you know he, he he he's he's really become cycling's al churvic yes, and for those that don't get that illusion i'll help you out He's Rodney Dangerfield's character from the movie Caddyshack. You know, he's showing up to the country club with his yacht with an obnoxious horn and he doesn't care. But here's the thing. He's pretty wise. Yeah. And you know, in a lot of his comments, you know, yeah, he's pompous. He's arrogant. You know, he's, he's, he's big on shock value, but he says a lot of things that really make sense. Mm -hmm. And, I think the biggest thing that people need to be afraid of, you know, a lot of people are afraid of Oleg Tinkoff. To me, I think what they need to be afraid of is that Oleg Tinkoff's going to be right about a lot of the way Mm -hmm. that cycling is run right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at the teams. I mean, one of the things Oleg said um, in a blog post today that, uh, you know, he's worried about the fact that Team Sky has the largest budget and, most importantly, a long-term plan. Right. They're really the only team in the sport right now that is able to project five, even ten years ahead of where it is right now, right. whereas just about every other team is, is, is literally living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. in terms of one sponsor from one year to the next. Right. That's, that's pretty scary. You know, at some point people are gonna have to start asking real serious questions about the sustainability of professional cycling. Right. And right now to me, Oleg Tinkoff is one of only a few people. Jonathan Vaughters is another mm-hmm. who are really willing to do that and trying to start those conversations. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I admit it. He's goofy. He, is. he uh, puts his foot in his mouth a lot, but yeah, he says uh, some outrageous
1: stuff and, he, and he's pretty abrasive at times, but yeah, yep. the thing, but, I but uh, he's pretty smart. Uh, The thing I would say is I'm not worried about, like, my biggest fear isn't that he's right. My biggest fear is that that he leaves. That too. To me, what that says is that he's looked around and he said the change that he feels is necessary, and, and I dig- I disagree about some of the things that he wants or about the specifics, but you know, broad stroke, I, I'm with you. I, I feel like he's got, you know, I, I feel like he's got generally the right idea. And if he leaves, it means that he's looked at this and, and said that the change that he wants to see happen isn't possible. And if that happens, then you've really got to wonder what is the future for cycling as a, as a mainstream sport. Um, because I think there are some things that need to happen to modernize the sport. And he's got, a, he's got some good ideas, not all, but some good ideas about how to make that mm-hmm. happen. And he's fighting against guys who don't want to see it modernized at all. They're guys who, who want to see the old ways come back uh, or at least not go away. And to me, if he leaves, that means that, that, that he lost that battle and that's not a good thing for the sport.
0: Yeah, he's a bit of a canary in a coal mine totally. in that regard. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. So hopefully hopefully he sticks around. Hopefully he's able to convince more people. And, um, you know, I think the sport will be all the better for it. So um, let's see. In, while we're talking about the future, mm-hmm. why don't we uh, maybe look into our crystal ball to end today. And uh, maybe talk about the 2016 tour. And while we have no idea where it's going to go, we only know the first four stages are going to start in Normandy, which Mm -hmm. is actually, I think, really cool. Uh, If you're a history buff and you've been looking for an excuse to either A, go visit the Tour de France, or B, Mm -hmm. go check out some of the historic battlefields from Normandy, Mm -hmm. uh, you might be able to kill two birds with one stone. Because I I believe stage two, I think, next Uh, year actually starts or ends at Utah Beach, stage stage one. one.
1: They go from Mont Saint-Michel to Utah Beach.
0: That's that's really cool. I, I think that's going to be that's going to be some pretty 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 great imagery. Yeah. Um, aside from that, though, we don't really know where the course is going to go, nope. Joe. But I think we can expect maybe a bit more of a balance between time trials and
1: mountains. I think so. I mean, as we know that the one as far as the macro sort of course look, the one thing that they do. Um, every year is they switch back and forth between whether the Pyrenees or the Alps come first. So this year, uh, the Pyrenees came first, and for 2016, it'll be the Alps will be the first set of mountains. Um, how they get there is anybody's guess. They may go, you know, they may go northeast uh, across the, the Normandy coast the kind of retracing some of the steps from, uh, from this year, or they may do something entirely different. We have no, they may go down to the Massif Central and then to the Alps, we don't know. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think this year was really notable because outside of the opening time, that was There were no individual time trial kilometers anywhere in this tour. They had the team time trial, but that was it. So I think if I had to guess for next year, there will probably not be a team time trial, but there will be more kilometers of individual time trialing. And I agree. That is going to benefit again. It's going to benefit guys like Chris Froome for sure, but also guys like T.J. Van Garderen.
0: Definitely, definitely.
1: I'm going to be really
0: curious to see where the tour goes with its cobbled. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say experiment, but 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 it's infatuation. You know, I think this year's cobbled stage uh, was a bit anticlimactic. It didn't have the effect that I think a lot of people thought it would, Mm -hmm. especially given last year's cobbled stage, which really broke up the race. Um, It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. If if they do swing Mm -hmm. northeast, that will certainly put them on a direct path towards some stages that could take them on the cobblestones of northern France. For sure. But I wonder uh, wonder if they'll take the bait. I wonder if they're going to make a statement that says, nope, this is going to become a regular feature. Mm -hmm. You need to expect this just like you expect the Alps, just like you expect the Pyrenees. Or are they going to take a year off from it? It'll be interesting to see, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that we can sort of guarantee is, as we talked about with, uh, with talking about Thierry Guvenu, is that the first week will be exciting. And again, it will have uh, nervous, you know, nervous stages. It'll have crosswinds. It'll have elements that are going to keep the riders on their toes for sure. And it's not going to be a promenade of sprint stages.
0: Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it'll be fun. We'll uh, usually mid October is when uh, yes. we find out what the course is going to is going to hold.
1: the big announcement.
0: Um, and I think, as we said before, we, we can certainly expect another great field. Uh, yeah. You know, Froome, Froome obviously is going to come back to defend his title. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alberto Contador, uh, Tinkoff mentioned in in uh, the column that he published today that next year is going to be Contador's last season, which uh, while it had been rumored and hinted about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it hadn't been hinted at for several weeks, and that Contador was going to focus exclusively on winning the tour next year. So that's going to be, that's going to be fantastic. You know, we'll still have Nairo Quintana. Mm -hmm. We'll still have Vincenzo Nibali. Although Nibali to me, of all the favorites this year, he's the one that I think we could see not do the tour next year. Potentially
1: potentially it i think it depends on a lot of things i think it depends on the course which i think also speaks to quintana although now that quintana has won the giro i don't know that they would do the same thing again with him where they say okay mm-hmm. Naira, you take a year off the tour and go to these other races i, I think Nairo is going to say no i want to do the tour no matter what yep. um, but Nibali could could potentially go a different direction it also depends on what team Nibali's on you know obviously yeah, they, for sure they, he had some he uh rubbed the the wrong way with Alexander Vinokurov, and there's talk of him even though he's under contract for 2016 there's talk of him switching teams so that's possible but I think on on the balance all of these guys are going to be back and I think the other thing that we learned is at least from from this year is that Condor's experiment with trying to do the double didn't work and I don't nope. and to possibly to the detriment of the Giro. I don't think anybody's going to try that next year, and maybe not again for a long time. And so what that means is that all of the focus for these guys is going to be on the Tour. So if we have another scenario this year where everybody comes in relatively healthy, you're going to have another crazy deep field.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it, you mentioned the detriment of the Giro. In a way, it's a shame, because the Giro is a fantastic race mm-hmm. in its own right. And it's certainly... Um, does a disservice to the Giro if the world's best Grand Tour riders mm-hmm. completely ignore it for the sake of the Tour de France. I mean, maybe it's good if you're a rider like Fabio Aru and you want to win your first rider Tour Or Mikel
1: Landa or somebody like that. And, that's, sure. and that maybe becomes sort of what it is. It's like, hey, this is like where we spot the next great Tour winner kind of thing. But, but it is a little bit of a bummer for the Giro because the Giro is the second biggest race in the world. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so... Um, I guess that does it, Joe. I think we're wrapped up. Not, really I think having we're anything wrapped up. Other than, uh, more to talk about with the 2016 tour.
0: Not really. I mean, unless you want to pick a winner.
1: Uh, no. Not just yet. I'm sure that the odds makers are taking odds Chicken. on it already, but, but, you know, I don't know that I want to lay my. Uh, well, lay my hand down. Which, speaking of which, we did one thing we did not do was go back over our predictions. So uh, we're already a long way into this. I don't think we want to make this a, a two-hour podcast. So uh, why don't we save that one for a, for a separate episode, maybe a special?
0: Perhaps the only thing I will say is I is, is I remember very clearly that I picked Alejandro Valverde to finish third. You did. So and I, I did.
1: I picked. Um, who did I pick? I said Quintana for the win, didn't I?
0: Well, uh, no, you said Contador. Oh, I no. said Quintana. I, so I picked
1: Quintana second. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yep, so I got yep. that.
0: I think you picked Contador. You, yeah, you yeah think... I
1: picked Contador. You're right. I picked
0: Contador. I think you for picked Contador. Right. Yep. So, 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 so yeah. So, um, if you're still listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, seriously though, if you are still listening, thank you. Um, it's been a lot of fun producing this podcast over the last few weeks especially because I get to do it with my good buddy Joe Joe thank you so much Always you know I know pleasure. that it's hard for us to uh, make our schedules match up all the time but uh, this has been a lot of fun thank you to bicycling for giving us giving us the bandwidth to uh, get together and sort of geek out on the Tour de France um, and thank you listeners for uh, downloading it listening to it enjoying us on your commute and bearing with us during our bad puns, bad jokes, and <laughs> bad predictions. There
1: will be more of those.
0: There will be more of those. So um, we don't know where this is going to go, but uh, for sure, uh, keep it tuned in to bicycling and bicycling.com. There's still a lot of great stuff there to go read. Uh, I Joe mentioned it earlier, but the greatest tour story ever told mm-hmm. is certainly worth checking out. Um, lots of tech slideshows are still up there, uh, so you can check out all the gear trends and things that the riders we're uh we're competing on Mm -hmm. and um you can certainly follow joe at joe Lindsay on twitter you can follow me at wit yost and uh stay tuned for more there's a lot of racing left this season and i'm sure you'll be hearing about that as well joe thanks au revoir a bientot until next year or next time and we'll talk to you soon thanks